Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we continue in the Psalms of Summer Sermon Series with guests David and Debbie O'Brien from the ministry Celebrate Recovery as they speak on what it looks like to experience God's redemptive hand in your life. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. We are aware that there are some audio issues in this episode, and we appreciate your understanding. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of life. Good morning, Impact Church. How are you doing this morning? Everybody good? Excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? We got a... a Exciting day uh, coming up here to message, and uh, I first wanted to, to start it and share this video because I hope you all know by now that Friday a major Supreme Court decision was made, one of which that, amen, thank you Jesus, which that uh, maybe many of us never thought we'd see in our lifetime um, to, to be reversed. And so uh, inside of that, we want to praise the Lord for, for that, for this example of brave men and women on our Supreme Court whose lives were threatened and, uh, and they stood in the face of opposition and evil and made the right decision. And uh, so we praise God for that example. And now we need to follow uh, with that. And I believe we have a responsibility, church, um, a, a responsibility that's much the same and uh, a little more urgent now. So and, and what does that look like? What does that mean now that Roe versus Wade um, has been reversed at the Supreme Court and national level? Well, first, all that did was put power back in the state's hands, right? So we need to pray for our state legislatures now to make the right decisions. And in the meantime, we need to be ready to love on people because now our crisis pregnancy centers are going to need help and support like never before. So this is the time to step up and be the church is what that means. So a lot more urgency is necessary. And I believe part of that is us standing on the truth of God's word. We need to be advocates for the gospel, advocates for the truth, um, really standing strong and, and, and speaking the truth in love. That, that's a huge part of it. It's broke my heart over the past couple of days to see the amount of people on social media that are angered, that are divided, that are arguing. And what breaks my heart even more is the fact that many of the people that are upset claim to be followers of Christ. I don't get that. That's a red flag for their heart. I'm going to be honest with you. So what we need to do is speak the truth in love. Guys, so I want to encourage us as a church, as a body of Christ, to not bring heat to arguments. Nobody needs an argument. But to bring light, to bring the truth of God's word in a loving way so that we speak truth in love so that people can have the, the scales fall from their eyes and see the truth of God and let the spirit work on them. That's what we need to do. So we need to be advocates for the truth. We need to be ready to, to disciple people and share with them the truth and walk them through things. So it's a big part of it. But then, like I said, being ready to step in and love on people, love on ladies that have um, gotten pregnant and are, and are hurting and are searching for a decision to make and, and which way to go. We need to be ready for, for those people to, to counsel them, to, to pour into them, to guide them into the help that they need and the direction they need. Part of that, again, is supporting our local crisis pregnancy centers. So as a church, we were going to do that. And uh, we're in, in, a, in a financial way. Obviously, we don't uh, have the capability to start our own yet. That's not what I'm advocating. There's ones already in place, and we're going to support them. 
Um, even locally, the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center, many of you may have heard, was uh, vandalized last night. So they need help. They need financial help to rebuild, to restore, and then also to um, the financial support it's going to take to help uh, reach out to these young ladies that now who would have gone for an abortion are going to be looking for help. And they're going to come there and they're going to need that support. So we're going to support them today. So what I'm going to ask you to do is pray during this service, Lord, how would you have me give? And what we're going to do is take up a special offering that I would like for you to give um, over at, are we good to go over to the side there? at the table, thumbs up. So over there where our normal offering box is, if you want to give to that, um, let them know if, if you're giving cash that is going specifically to that, or you can write a, um, a check to the church. Let them know that it's going to that. We'll put that all together in a check to the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center and give that to them this week, okay? So how would the Lord lead you to give? Be ready to support that ministry, all right? And pray and be ready to share the truth. But today, after opening with that, we are, we're going to go through Psalms 107 today. And, and a, a, a psalm that leads people into the view of how God is a God that rescues. He's a God that saves. Even when we're in the darkest, deepest times of our life, even through addictions and things that, that grip us and, and grab us, make us feel like we're lost in the wilderness or we're captives or we're sick at heart, or we're going through a storm, that God is the God who rescues. So inside of that, what we're going to do is, is announce a, a new ministry that we will be starting out of Impact Church to help people who are struggling. We already have one called Chain Breakers, and um, Collison and Robin Corner do a great job at that. They've faithfully led that ministry and continue to do so. And, and it's a, a ministry that helps people who are struggling with anything, not just drugs or alcohol or pornography or anything like that, but just anything, anger issues, whatever. And, and they meet weekly and have biblical um, support and messages for those people. And we're going to add in addition to that celebrate recovery out of Impact Church now. Um, a few other churches in the area do it. Um, so there's a need here in this area for that. So we're going to meet that need. Uh, the Lord has led us that direction and has uh, led the right people here to lead it. Um, I'm going to introduce to you people who are going to start to share about this ministry this week and next week as we tie in Psalms 107 with it. And uh, David O'Brien is a recovery pastor and uh, has a heart to do ministry and help people through dark, gripping times of their life, through addictions, to whatever's troubling them, and even goes out into prison ministry and does that as well, alongside his wife, Debbie O'Brien. And they both together are state representatives for Celebrate Recovery. They have a heart for starting Celebrate Recovery in churches and uh, different areas, and then also taking that into the prisons and, and helping those people there as a ministry. You're going to hear more about that. So I want to introduce to you now... Um, Mr. and Mrs. here, David and Debbie O'Brien, as they come up and share with you today, I want you to uh, give them a warm welcome and then also hear the Lord speak through them, how God's going to use this ministry, how he's uh, uh, used them in this area. And uh, we're just thankful the Lord has led these two to Impact Church, um, to uh, be a, a part of what God's doing here. And uh, love to have you. I'm going to bring your chairs up for you guys. All right. Well... My name is David O'Brien, as you just heard Brad Vell say, and this is Debbie, my wife. And today, uh, I'm going to introduce myself how I normally would at a recovery meeting, and then we'll explain what, why we even do that later on. Uh, but my name is David. I'm a Christian and recovering alcoholic. And today, my wife and I are going to give you a brief glimpse into our life. 
Hello, my name is Debbie, and I am a grateful disciple of Jesus Christ. I am celebrating recovery from codependency, and I'm currently working on the many character defects that God is illuminating to me through his word. I accepted Jesus as my savior when I was five, because I did understand at that young age that I was a sinner in need of a savior, and was baptized by my dad when I was about 10. My childhood was, full, was one full of adventure and exotic places to live as my parents fulfilled the calling on their lives as missionaries. Our adventures overseas started in 1971 when our family of six got on a plane and flew to the South Pacific where we lived until 1975 on the island of Palau as my dad became the principal and pastor of an all-girls high school. The students were from the six island nations of Micronesia and they were um, six different languages and six different cultures. We encountered beautiful beaches, fresh food, fresh seafood, tropical weather and storms, boils and language barriers and culture shock and came back with one more daughter, our adopted sister, Deanna. My memories of our time in Palau are many and beautiful. After a short furlough in Florida, we moved to Guam and I graduated from high school there in 1979. And by the time I flew back to the mainland, my parents had added two more daughters to our family, leaving our parents with seven daughters. Even though I was raised in the home where Christian values and principles were taught consistently, I never really pursued a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. As a teenager, I was in defiance to my parents' directives and biblical principles. My faith was conditional at best, though I knew that I was wrong in acting and not acting like a Christian girl should act. The day after graduation, I left Guam, which was a hard thing to do. I left behind my family and was for the first time truly on my own. I had no real accountability and I certainly didn't seek any out. Over the next several years, I went to Liberty Baptist College, but was floundering in my life and dropped out and moved back to Florida and continued down a path of self-destruction. I dated guys and easily gave my heart away, which is a character defect that followed me for many years. I found myself allowing my flesh and the world to influence my choices. I ended up pregnant with my oldest son, Nathan, and moved back home with my parents who were on furlough in New Jersey. You would think that I had learned my lesson this time, but no, self-reliance was a character defect that defined me also, and I continued in the same pattern, and three years later had my son, Daniel. By the age of 28, I was a single parent of two little boys. I made several half-hearted attempts to make things right with God, but I always failed. I was a Christian as far as my eternity went, but I was not a follower of Jesus Christ in my daily life. One night while out trying to drown my sorrows in a local club here in Lynchburg, I met, I met the answer to all my problems, David. There was a time in my life that I became more of a problem than a solution for my wife. Today I'm going to focus on how my drinking affected my immediate family, but a lot could also be said on how my drinking hurt my parents and brothers. I didn't have the Christian background that my wife had. We went to church periodically, but I wasn't sure what it all meant. And though there was alcoholism in my family, my parents were an alcoholic. Uh, my parents originally from the Northwest, uh, dad from Portland, and uh, I think mom originally from uh, Ellensburg in, in, in Washington, but they grew up together in Portland and uh, came out to uh, 
to Boston to go to school, and that's where I grew up. I grew out there uh, for the first 13 years of my life. I haven't been back to Boston since. Uh, and, uh, but I, I was there till I was 13, then moved back to Seattle. I grew up in a, you know, middle-class family, and um, I, I think I had a good upbringing. We weren't perfect, there was dysfunction. Uh, but I don't have a, a crazy upbringing to blame my alcoholism on, and I think uh, it's an accurate statement to say that who I am, my character defects, what, what made me who I am today uh, is kind of a mixture of chromosomes, genetics, the sin nature, chromosomes, choices, and circumstances. And so uh, I had to address that and take personal responsibility for that in that area of my life. I'm the oldest of uh, three boys. I was several years older than my brothers, which I think helped to fuel some of my self-centeredness. When I was younger, I couldn't have described to you how I felt, so most of what I'm saying is what I've learned through hindsight. But I think emotionally, I was stuck on broke. The emotions and thoughts I had when I was 12 years old seemed to be the same when I was 32. I never felt like I measured up to my surroundings. People around me seemed to have it together, and I wanted my insides to match their outsides. I suffered from an inferiority complex coupled with a big ego, and my ego masked how I felt. Over the years, I was involved with uh, workshops, TV, and theater, and in Boston, where I grew up, I auditioned for a children's television show that was to air on PBS, and I made the cut, and I was on that show called Zoom back in the 70s for a season of 32 shows. Well, this helped my popularity and boosted my esteem issues and helped to feed my self-centeredness. And then I pursued drama and kids' magic all through my school years and on into college. But then eventually, my drinking overshadowed my acting, and my alcoholism ran out of control. At the age of 12, I had two tall glasses of bourbon at a friend's house. That's when I first started to drink, just out of curiosity. Well, needless to say, I got very drunk, and it was like magic. Right off the bat, <clears throat> excuse me, alcohol did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And that started nearly 20 years of drinking and drug use. By the time I was 19, I was a middle-stage alcoholic. And by now, I knew that my drinking was different than others around me, even people who drank a lot. My drinking and drug use were affecting my relationships with both family and friends. There was more and more shame and guilt associated with my drinking, yet I was powerless to stop. And then some disturbing blackouts made me take a look at recovery. And I started going to the 12-step meetings and reading literature and working on the steps to the best of my ability. And at that time, I felt God working in my life, and I knew that he was more than some abstract thing. And at that time, my dad was investigating Christianity, and I think actually had recently gotten saved. And he told me to read the book of John. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he told me to read the book of John. And, you know, God spoke to me through that book, and I understood who Jesus was, and I needed a Savior. And then that same week, during a third-step recovery meeting, a couple talked about Jesus Christ as their higher power. Well, that got my attention. I met with them later and received Christ as my Savior. And though I prayed with them publicly, looking back, I believe I was saved while reading the Gospel of John. As in Romans 10.10, it says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. The first thing I did was went and tell my dad what had happened. And this, of course, laid the necessary foundation. I had a strong desire to know more of God's Word and enthusiasm uh, with my new faith and was sober at the time. Uh, regularly attending church, and a home Bible study. There was evidence of real conversion. Yet I struggled with my alcoholism for almost 10 more years. 
Prior to meeting Debbie, I was in the Marine Corps and was discharged early. From there, another area affected by my alcoholism. This was a new bottom for me. I came to Virginia to attend Elam Home for Alcoholics. I sought after God and I did well for a while, the most time I'd ever had up until that point. And I went from there to be a Liberty student and had been clean for a year, almost to the day. I was involved with theater as my major and life seemed good again. But this is key, this is really important. Here I am, a, a Christian, a Christ follower, but I had no program of recovery or accountability. I took my eyes off God and recovery, so the day came when I drank again. Shortly after that, I met Debbie at a club called Gatsby's. The second part of the first step is, and our lives have become unmanageable. So in keeping with that, 39 days later, Debbie and I got married. I needed a place to stay, and she had a comfortable couch. During the few conversations we had, David had told me that he had had a problem with drugs in the past, but that he was not doing the hard drugs anymore. And I was naive and did not understand that I did not understand chemical addiction at all, or that his drinking would lead back to the drug use. And during all of my insanity, though, I knew I wanted to marry a man who was a Christian, and David did fit that criteria. He was a Christian. He had a job. And he was willing to take on the responsibility of an instant family. And one day, we just decided that getting married seemed like a good idea. On our honeymoon night, he left our room to hook up with a guy who he met at dinner to get high. And I remember feeling very uncomfortable and neglected. And little did I know that they would become familiar feelings. And soon, they turned into anger and bitterness. And those emotions controlled my responses to David's alcoholism for many years and almost destroyed our marriage. I had uh, falsely come to the conclusion that it was my lot in life to stay drunk. I had deceived myself into thinking that my drinking wouldn't become a problem again. And like every good alcoholic, I had the obsession that I could control and enjoy my drinking. It would be several more years before I would consider sobriety again. When we relapse, it gets worse, never better. I quit school and worked at a restaurant full-time, and because of my drinking, I had lost that job. And at the time, some friends of ours in Tallahassee wanted me to manage their pizzeria. So I took the geographical cure, leaving my problems behind, but I was the problem, and everywhere I went, there I was. Upon arrival in Tallahassee, we discovered to our joy that I was pregnant with our daughter, Susan. I knew that David loved Nathan and Daniel, but I thought that a child of his own would encourage him to stop drinking. Once again, I was naive. My reactions to David's drinking and drugging were full of anger and bitterness, and I would lash out at him hatefully. I believed that if David would just stop drinking, that we would have no problems. I felt completely justified in my reactions towards him. His glaring problems with drinking masked my responsibility in creating more problems in our marriage. I have no real memory of attending church or really reaching out for spiritual guidance during this time at all. My focus was on fixing our life, but nothing I did worked. In fact, it made things much worse. My drinking escalated, drinking a quarter hundred proof vodka a day and using all the drugs I could get my hands on. While in Tallahassee, I found a better restaurant to work at and had the same pattern of working my way up into management and then eventually losing my job again because of drinking. Debbie and I were arguing more and more and our communication skills were awful. And to add fuel to the fire during one of Debbie's rescuing modes, she invited a couple with a young baby to live in our house for a while. Well, neither one of us was ready for it spiritually or emotionally. 
And because I didn't set boundaries well, I did not voice that it wasn't a good idea. And being in the doghouse because of my drinking didn't help much either. I didn't want to object to anything that was going to interfere with my drinking. And more importantly, this new addition to our home irritated me because it interfered with my alcohol and drug use. I saw Debbie as an inconvenience to my drinking and became more resentful towards her and lashed out at her physically. One night, I was drinking heavily and using LSD. I overslept the next day, got up late for work. I was hungover and irritable, and I looked over at my wife, and in that moment, I blamed her for everything that had gone wrong in my life. And in a rage, I attacked her and put her head into a headlock and tried to run her head into the cinder block wall. She pulled away, ran out of the house. The kids scattered. Susan was still in her crib. Debbie had called the police, and I had Susan in my arms when they arrested me. At that moment, I was stunned at what had happened, and shame and guilt set in immediately. Shortly after that, I remember my dad expressing his feelings and telling me that I'd become an alcoholic and a wife beater. He made me face a cold reality of what I'd become. After David's arrest, he went back into treatment here in Virginia. Two months later, I packed up everything and I followed him to Lynchburg and went to live at the Network for Women in Crisis. That is where I met an amazing mentor, Julia, and started to attend Blue Ridge Community Church. At this point, I was so angry at the position that my husband had put me in. I was living in a shelter and separated from my two boys who were living with one of my sisters. I would spill my sorrows to Julia, and she kept pointing me to the Bible and Jesus for solutions to my problems. She had no problem pointing out to me what my part was in this relationship. I was hopeful that we were at the end of this mess, yet soon after treatment, he drank again. The emotional and physical abuse continued, and he finally left at my insistence and moved back to Seattle for 20 months. It was during this separation that I began to allow God to work on my heart. David communicated with us on a regular basis, and I knew that he was trying to get clean, but he was not doing very well at all. I realized at this point how sick he really was. When David called and wanted to come home, I had some huge reservations, as you can imagine. I knew that he was not sober, but God had worked on my heart enough that I said yes. At this point in my spiritual growth, it was not about David. It was about me being obedient to God. I was home for about a year and had a few months sober and drank again. Communication was still difficult with Debbie. I wasn't seeking God. But I finally hit a brick wall. This was a, a turning point in our marriage, in my life, in many ways. And so I'll tell you a little bit about that. So, you know, one night I was drinking some vodka, minding my own business, and suddenly it seemed like a good idea for me to go back to the restaurant I was managing and steal money out of the safe so I could buy some crack cocaine. So I went and did that, and uh, of course the money didn't get spent right. I couldn't find the drugs I was looking for, and nothing went well that evening. Just like the Bible says, ill-gotten gain dwindles quickly. Then I got cold feet, and I realized what I did was stupid. So I called my wife up early in the morning and got her out of bed. She wasn't entirely surprised at what I did, but I had never done anything like that up until that point. And uh, uh, she packed the kids in the car. They were half asleep. She was eight months pregnant with Patrick, came, picked me up so we could find a payphone so I could tell my boss what I had done. And then uh, I decided we should stop at a convenience store so I can get a soda. And in between the car and the convenience store, I decided to rob it using a note so I could buy some more crack cocaine. Well, my wife had no idea she was driving the getaway car. 
And this resulted in me spending four and a half years in prison on a 10-year sentence. And this proved completely that my life was unmanageable and I was incapable of making any good decisions. I had placed my family into an impossible position. This time he outdid himself. At the time of the robbery of the convenience store, I was pregnant with our son, Patrick, and had no idea that I was driving that getaway car. At this point, I was so ready to leave this marriage in the dust and move on with my life, but God would not leave me alone. With the support of some godly women at Blue Ridge, I studied God's word and found out what my responsibility was as a child of God and David's wife. Not once did they ever encourage me to divorce him. In my studies of God's word, I discovered that I did have all the biblical grounds for divorce. But then in Mark 10, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he told them that Moses permitted divorce because your hearts were hard. Then Jesus goes on to say that two are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then I also found out that in Malachi, God said, I hate divorce. Because of the changes that had taken place in me, I wanted to follow God's word and was committed to my walk with him and thus to my marriage. By the time he was sentenced, I had four children from the ages of 11 and a newborn, and I was thrown into the wonderful world of social services, and I struggled with guilt and shame that my husband was in prison. I was not alone, though, because I had the support of my family and friends. I had a dear friend who was going through very similar circumstances, and we were an encouragement to each other. After sentencing, when they took me away in handcuffs, I watched my wife and kids walk away as I was coming out of the courthouse, and it was like a dark slow-motion movie. But the reality was I'd abandoned my family through my actions. I had to face the fact that I'd become a stereotypical alcoholic and that I wasn't unique. You know, when I look back, I can see God working throughout my whole life, drawing me to him, and I spent my whole life selfishly running from God. My prison time was like Jonah being in the belly of the great fish. God had used my own self-destructive behaviors to get my attention. I was in the right place. My back was up against the wall, and I had no answers. I was defeated by my alcoholism, and I couldn't overcome it without God's help. I had to let God change me from the inside out. And so I spent the next four and a half years pursuing God with all my heart. I bought lots of Christian books and restudied the doctrines of the faith and attended church services and held Bible studies when I could. I also pursued the 12-step recovery groups that were available. I finally learned what living one day at a time really meant. I saw how I sat for years on a wealth of information, not showing others God's word and his love. You know, I had a full knowledge of God and recovery. I had enough information to stay sober a thousand years. When was I going to put it into action? Through letter writing and visits, I did my best to restore relationships with my family. And God lifted my obsession to drink and answered my prayer that Debbie would see that I meant business. Over the next four and a half years, I studied the Bible as much as I could, but honestly, there were times I could not emotionally handle too much of God's Word, simply because I was so angry and insecure about everything. Yet I put on a strong front in front of others and for our children. There is a passage in Scripture that I clung on to, Psalms 121, I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The entire psalm is very powerful. I also vividly remember hearing the song, God is in Control, on the local radio station that was coming on the air for the first time. They played that song straight for three days. I needed to hear it. God really spoke to me that he was in control and that my part in all of this was to forgive and love David the same way that Jesus forgave and loved me and to trust that God could restore us if I sought him as I knew he wanted me to. 
I had to die to myself and live for God, shut my mouth, and let God do the talking and the healing. My part was to ask God for faith, listen to him, and obey. Every day was a closer walk into a relationship with Christ and with David. Slowly, God softened my heart towards David because of the work I was allowing Jesus to do in my heart. As David was preparing to come home, my emotions were all mixed up. I was excited yet terrified at the same time. During his time inside, we wrote many letters and had many phone conversations, and this time I did notice a huge difference in him. I saw a change take place that could only be explained by his pursuit of God. So the day came for his return, and both the children and I met it with much anticipation. You know, I've noticed how people tend to compartmentalize Christianity as being separate from their recovery. Maybe I'll do some meetings over here. I'll do church over here. You know, but with Celebrate Recovery, we have the best of both worlds. God intended for the husband and wife to take their Christian journey together. All too often, the alcoholic or somebody struggling with a hurt or a hang-up seems to get special attention. And instead of the spouse being a bystander, they need to be involved also. Celebrate Recovery does this because it helps the whole family. It's been many years since David came home, and they've been ones full of tremendous growth for both of us together. I had to learn how to trust the changes that God had made within David and myself. We started Celebrate Recovery at Blue Ridge Community Church in 2002 and spent 19 years building a ministry that impacted hundreds of lives with the gospel and restorative power of Jesus Christ. Ministry is hard, yet so rewarding at the same time. God has used Celebrate Recovery to challenge me and develop my love for Jesus and his word. In 2006, I became a volunteer state rep for Celebrate Recovery, and over the last 16 years, we have worked with and encouraged over 30 churches in Virginia to launch CR in their own communities. There is a line in the full version of the Serenity Prayer that says, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. That line has become very real to me, and we have mowed, and we have navigated through the many hard yet rewarding changes that has gone on in our lives. We face them, yet with Jesus, they are not too heavy to handle. God has blessed me with six grandchildren, and I am so blessed that I get, I get to disciple them, specifically my oldest granddaughter, Macy, who at her request wants to do a Bible study with me every single week on Zoom. I know that my journey in this life is made doable because I consciously choose to commit myself daily to Christ's care and control. I believe that his promises are true. The steps and the principles have become a way of life for me. My favorite scripture is Job 8, 5 through 7. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous will your future be. Now, don't think that I was the wonderful wife who stood by this man so valiantly. Believe you me when I tell you that I had my issues. Self-centeredness, codependency, self-reliance, and control issues. And I was very good at pushing past the current issues and sweeping it aside and just kept on moving forward. All of these character defects, God has helped me heal from through the recovery process, which is really discipleship. I have grown in my salvation through this process in studying God's word. I am a strong-willed woman who needed Jesus to humble and heal her too. So three 
really important things happened when I was incarcerated. A bunch happened then, but, you know, three significant things. One, God had removed my obsession to drink. The desire and the necessity to drink had been removed in a way that was powerful and convincing just because of the environment I was in. The other miracle that really took place was I began to restore a relationship with my wife and kids, even where I was at, even though it was at a distance. In fact, during some of my time, because of the overcrowding, they sent some of us to Texas to a private prison. Uh, so I was away even then, back in the uh, 90s. But God restored that relationship, and that was a miracle in and of itself. So that was the second main thing. But the third thing is, and I wouldn't have been able to say this at the time because I wasn't really familiar with that terminology, and, is God had put a call in my life. I knew I needed to be involved in ministry or serving in some capacity because I love to hear about God's truth. I love to talk about God's truth, and I like to talk about recovery. So I, I didn't know what that was like for me, so I kind of just set that over here. But God... Uh, really put it upon my heart and hounded me as I kept getting into his word that I need to be serving. I didn't know if, what that meant. Did that mean come back to prison sometime or jail and, and, and maybe do ministry and, and t teach the gospel? What did that mean? And at the same time, uh, I had to, uh, you know, ask myself, is this self-centered? Is it ego-driven? Is it really God, you know, wanting me, uh, putting it on my heart, drawing me to do that? Uh, and so these three main things that happen. So we get out. I get out, and uh, I start driving a big truck over the road. That was the job I picked. Uh, I'm not so sure that was the best choice, but it worked really well for a lot of years, but it kept me away from my family in the middle of the week, which I think was still difficult. And I just left small quarters that I was living in for a long time, only to be in a sleeper a lot in the back of the truck, so I'm not sure uh, <laughs> if that was the best decision. Um, Got involved in the drama team. We started serving, got involved in life groups. We were plugged into church. Life was good, but I kept driving uh, to California and back every week, and, and this is why I brought that up, is because, uh, you know, I kept felt like I was driving away from God's purpose, that I wasn't serving in the capacity that I think he was calling me to, but I didn't know what that was. So then I was introduced to Celebrate Recovery in 2002 and realized that this was the call that God had brought me to. Debbie and I realized that this was something that we could do together to help others. We've seen answered prayer and this growth in ministry, and, and, and I have compassion and excitement in watching others get involved and see God making changes in their life. My sobriety has been a wonderful thing, but it's not always easy. This program has stretched me like a Gumby doll and taken me out of my comfort zone through the 12-step process and has continued to show me the things that still God wants to change in me. God has helped me also to heal from my insecurities and my approval addiction, and, and by his grace, God has continued to heal my marriage. We have our struggles, even in recovery, new challenges, new things to surrender. However, a pursuit of God and the tools of CR and community have made all the difference. I realize I'm not as far as I'd like to be in certain areas of my life, but I like who I am today. I still have to trust God, clean house, and help others. Life still keeps coming at us at 90 miles an hour. But the best way I've found to move forward in life is through a relationship with Jesus Christ in the recovery process. I found that I have to surrender to both God and the process because it's the steps in the process that help me to surrender to God's will. You don't work the steps, the steps work you. In addition to this, over a period of time, I was able to make amends to my family. One of my favorite steps is step two, believing that God could restore me to sanity. Boy, did I need that. But he's restored more than that. By the grace of God, I will uh, have been sober for 28 years on July 13th. I've had my voting and gun rights restored. Yeah, <laughs> praise God. 
I've had my voting and gun rights restored, and I'm blessed with a great family and friends. I really, really am. After driving a big truck <clears throat> over the road for 11 years, I was brought on staff at BRCC in 2010 as a recovery pastor and ministry leader of Celebrate Recovery. That was a lot for me to process. My background coming into that, it, it was, it, it, I popped a few brain cells over that. I was then asked to be a Celebrate Recovery inside state rep for the jails, and then after 19 years combined between serving and Celebrate Recovery while on the road and being on staff, the church went in a different direction and stopped doing CR, and they wanted to support us with the focus on jail ministry. So we started a nonprofit called the Land in Between Ministry. And Debbie and I are acting chaplains at the Blue Ridge Regional Jail Authority. And so we organize volunteers to come in for Bible studies and to continue to bring the Celebrate Reprogram inside. Celebrate Recovery Program inside is one of the best discipleship programs ever for people to go through inside the, the system. This has been a new place of faith for us because we have to rely on donations for support. And of course, our passion is to start another Celebrate Recovery right here at Impact. I was really humbled when my story was picked to be in the Celebrate Recovery Bible in hopes that it could help others to know they're not alone. I love watching new people come in, sometimes doubtful and hurting, wondering if anything will ever change for them, and then see God work in their life as they surrender and find the healing that they're looking for. They find hope in Christ, and they start to trust the recovery process, and then, wow, they want to tell others what God has done for them. So if you're interested in this or if you're new, Give this a chance. It takes time. Don't quit 15 minutes before the miracle. I wanted to close right now with this part, with, the, with this verse from 1 Corinthians 2.9. When I saw this, it brought tears to my eyes when this unfolded in front of me. To see God work in our lives like he had done and is still doing. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Thanks Thank you for letting us share. share. All right. Okay. We're going to <clears throat> thank you for listening. Uh, Brad's going to come up and close here in just a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to read uh, the first 16 verses of Psalm 107, and then we're going to talk quickly about the nuts and bolts of what does CR, what is CR in general, the literature, and so on and so forth. And we'll move to that pretty quickly, and then we'll end. Um, but I'd like to, uh, you know, talk about next week. I think we're going to see, uh, as we go through the eight principles, it's not going to be our story. We're going to see how biblically driven this is, how powerful it is. What does it look like to go through the journey of recovery, just, you know, in spoken form? And, and, uh, and hopefully you'll be able to relate to that. And we're tying it in with the Summer of Psalms, and so there'll be several psalms we'll be referring to next week as well. This is what Psalm 107 says. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those He redeemed from the hand of His foe, those He gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in the de desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives ebbed away. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. 
Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness in the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. They cried uh, to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Amen. All right, so... Uh, Flip side. Okay. Um, just a couple of quick things about Celebrate Recovery. You know, why do we introduce ourselves the way we do? My name is David, and I'm a Christian or a grateful believer, follower of Christ, however you want to say that. And then why I'm here, what I struggle with. And, uh, you know, in my case, I say I'm a recovering alcoholic. Uh, and, and, and some people wonder why we do that. Uh, there's a notion that sometimes when we identify with that thing, we're not saying Christ has delivered us from that. And that's just not true. See, my identity is in Christ. It's not in my addiction. But I need to stay out of denial and tell other people what God has delivered me from. And with Celebrate Recovery, only one out of three people come for addiction. We're like the smallest group. We might be the craziest group, but we're the... the I'll, I'll speak for myself. But we're the... We're the smallest group. You know, 60% of the people that come to celebrate recovery come for some other hurt, habit, or hang-up. They come for things like codependency, depression, anxiety, struggling in a marriage, eating disorders, sexual integrity issues, and the list goes on. Those places where we're stuck, we know we want to get unstuck, but we've habitually been in something that we want to live differently. We want to live more victoriously in a sanctified life. And so Celebrate Recovery is synonymous, really, with Christian discipleship. I, I've never seen a better, they're just as good sometimes, but a better discipleship uh, program where if you work the three doors of Celebrate Recovery, which we'll explain here in just a second, uh, that you will go deep, you will grow uh, farther in your sanctification uh, with Christ. Um, Celebrate Recovery started in 1991 by John Baker, who passed away last year, February of 2021. Uh, him and Cheryl Baker were the founders of this really awesome couple. We valued them as, at least from a distance, mentors. We knew them pretty well. But he passed away, but he's the one that helped to launch this. It's now in some 20,000 uh, plus churches across the country, uh, and it's also international in, uh, you know, some 30 countries and like 19 different languages at least. So it's really grown and bloomed uh, over the years, so it's, it's pretty incredible. So one of the questions we ask is, so who is Celebrate Recovery for? And I'm going to let Debbie talk about that. So one of the things I say when I'm in jail all the time, <clears throat> every Thursday morning and every Tuesday afternoon, is that the two most judgmental places on the planet are jail and church, because it's true. So let's, let's try this. Um, I was going to have you all stand up, but I'm going to let you sit right now. So if you've never in your entire life, either intentionally or unintentionally, been hurt by someone, or if you've never in your entire life either intentionally or unintentionally hurt someone, then maybe that's you. Maybe you don't need CR. But if any of those things 
have happened to you, then you could qualify for coming into Celebrate Recovery. And that's the one thing I love about it. That's what I loved about it when we, when we looked into it, was that I'm not the alcoholic, but I definitely had my issues I had to work on. And so Celebrate Recovery brings us all together, all of us sinners in need of a savior to work through our hurts, habits, and hangouts. Yes, anybody could qualify for that. Uh, let's talk about the three doors real quick. And then I'm going to talk about the literature, and I'm going to kind of move past this pretty quickly because next week we get to focus on the heart of recovery and what it looks like to go through the journey. And I, I think whatever's missed today will be explained and seen at a deeper level. It'll see how it's biblically driven, uh, and, and I, think, um, I think you'll be excited about it. So uh, at any rate, three doors, right? So what does that mean? Well, the first door is uh, a large group time, right? That's where we have worship. We open with worship and prayer. We have a testimony and or a teaching time rotated throughout the year every other week. The teaching times are on the 25 lessons uh, of Celebrate Recovery, taking you through the steps. What does it look like? Challenging questions to be thought about. So you have worship, teaching time or testimony. Testimonies are powerful because they can provide hope and healing. Somebody sitting out there goes, man, did that person just say that from the stage? Did, are they really struggling with that too? The identification process is powerful. That other people are hurting or bitter or going through a struggle just like I am. So those are important. So the large group time then goes into the second door, which is the open share group. And at this point, there are men's groups and women's groups separated to help keep them safe. And the testimony and teaching time uh, drives the topic for the open share group is the icebreaker and how we deal with that. So large group and open share, the two first two doors are all done on CR night, whatever night that week is of the week that's going to be. We're looking at probably launching it here on Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon, late afternoon. And so uh, you have those first two doors and then a meal time or a snack time kind of thing. So you have fellowship. So it's a, it's a bit of a long commitment to come that day. You got large group, open share. But it's in that fellowship time, the meeting after the meeting, where you get to develop relationships and grow with one another, get to know one another. So that's really important. And that leads me to the third door. So let's say you're coming to celebrate recovery for a while. You go, man, I want to go deep with this thing. I want to make the necessary. I want God to change me through the power of the Spirit. And I want to really look at some of the things uh, that he wants to show me. And that's when you get into the step study. And you get into the participant guides, and that walks you through the steps. A step study is like a nine-month-to-year commitment. And uh, that's why it's pretty serious. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm committing to this. It's once a week, but now it gives you two nights of accountability. you got your CR night, then you got your step study night. And then you're building a relationship with that same group of men, that same group of women over nine months. It, it builds up confidence, it builds up trust, and it becomes a safe place. See, uh, you know, during the open share on Sunday nights, it's kind of open. New people can come, which is awesome. We want new people to come. But this is a place where we've developed some trust and confidentiality. Uh, and so that's really important. And then um, I think we should go over the guidelines real quick. So you got those three doors. If you work all three doors, you're going to see life change in your recovery. Guidelines are there to keep it safe. I'm just going to run through those real quick. Lots more could be said about them, but uh, um, you, you stick to your own thoughts and feelings. Keep your sharing uh, to three to five minutes. Uh, try to stick to I and me statements. And these are all read before each group because the, these aren't groups where you then go back and forth and, and uh, give feedback and things like that during group. 
Uh, we want these to be safe. You know why we learn? We learn through the power of the Holy Spirit and listening to somebody else share. And so, uh, you know, the next one is no crosstalk. Crosstalk is when two individuals engage in conversation, excluding all others. And then the next one is we're here to help one another, not fix one another. So if you're not cross-talking, we can't fix one another. Why is that good? Well, there's a lot of codependents in there that want to offer a lot of advice to the hurting person to make them feel better. Because a lot of times, codependency can be described as loss of self and others. It's a lot easier for me to fix you than to look at me. And so we're there for our recovery to make it safe. And so we all share and we learn by listening. And then the next one is anonymity and confidentiality or uh, basic requirements. What's shared in the group stays in the group. The only exception is when someone threatens to injure themselves or others. And then the fifth one is uh, no foul language in a Christ Center recovery group or graphic descriptions kind of thing. Uh, and these really help keep it safe. A little awkward for some people and others are like, yes, I love the guidelines. They're awesome. And then I have to remember to use the guidelines when I'm talking to Debbie. <laughs> Think about that. They work in our relationships. Uh, so those are the guidelines. Uh, sponsors and accountability, real quick, an accountability partner is anybody in your, your friend or home group, could be a spiritual advisor, mentor, you know, maybe uh, you, your pastor, something like that. But a sponsor is somebody who's worked through the steps, has a year of recovery, usually has your background of recovery. And why is this important? Just real quick. Some things you're not ready to share in a group yet. Some things you shouldn't share openly in group yet. And we have that one trusted person that we can confide to, that we can work through some of the details in a healthy manner. That's why that's important. And then Debbie's going to close by talking about CP and the landing a little bit, and then Brad will come out. So the one thing that I love about cell recovery is that um, when we are dealing with our hurts, habits, and hangups, we don't deal with them alone. We drag everybody in our sphere of friends and family along down that nastiness with us, including our children. And um, so Cell Recovery offers a children's program and a teen program. And the children's program is called Celebration Place. And we call it Pre-Recovery. And it is an amazing, amazing ministry. And um, we will be having that here. We're grateful we have someone who's going to come and direct it for us. So that is exciting. But the next step we would love to get going is the landing, which is for teens. Every single testimony I have ever heard, all the messiness in their lives started when they were kids or when they were teens. And so how better than to gather them and get them the healing and the help that they need before they drag it into adulthood. And so those are the two ministries that we really want to see um, grow here. We had it at the other facility at, at Blue Ridge for about 10 years, and it impacted the lives of many, many young men and women. So that's um, it for now from me. Yeah, and at one time I wanted to get shirts for our kids that said we're recovering from our parents' recovery. <laughs> I think, I do believe they needed them. Real quick, and then Brad will come out. There's other literature that came out over the years. There's a Celebrate Recovery Bible with the lessons, a devotional, real-life biblical stories, people's stories in there. Life's Healing Choices, we'll be talking about those eight principles next week and how they line up with God's Word. 365-day devotional. I've been reading about this a lot in the step study I'm in. This is a great devotional. And I love this. This is the journal. I'm not a big journaler much anymore, but I've done plenty of writing. But the part that's cool is in the back of it is a prayer journal. And you write down the date of your request, what your request to God was, and when did he answer it, or what was his answer. And so there's some tools that you can use in this program to help keep you on track. And then 
Brad's going to come up. Um, real quick, if you have any questions and you can't get to us, all these folks in these blue shirts, they're willing to answer your questions too. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Hey, guys, are you excited about what God's going to do through this ministry or what? I believe God's going to set some captives free, bring some people out of the wilderness. A lot of what Psalms 107 is talking about here, and, and we're not going to have time to, to really go through this in detail today. So back there, as I was listening to Dave and Debbie and Sharon, I was just thinking, it's like we need to take the time to go through this expositionally. So we'll do that in a couple weeks. But I do want to close this out with everything they said. And, and now that you know the direction that God is leading us with uh, these ministries that we have, Chain Breakers and now Celebrate Recovery, and how we are helping people through some of the toughest times of their life. Psalms 107 gives four ways that the Lord delivers. And, and one of that is in a wilderness, like somebody that's lost and in a wilderness. And the second way is for, for somebody that is in a, a captive situation. They're behind bars, behind iron, and he sets them free. The other way is, is with their sick. And at the end, in, in verses 23 through 32, I want to read that real quick for you and close this out there. Psalms chapter 107, verse 23 says this. says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters... They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commands and raises the stormy wind. Think about that. Which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. So therefore, guys, you can see that passage closes where we are to praise him, exalt him in the company. Where? The assembly of the people. Hey, that's us. In the presence of who? The elders. That's the leadership of the church. We're to praise God for what he's done, what he's about to do, and what he's going to do by setting captives free. Maybe you have a testimony similar to David and Debbie. Maybe you're here and you're saying, man, I, I've, I don't have that type of testimony. I don't have that type of struggle. But here's what I can promise you. We are all in some type of storm in our life. And if you're not in one now, you will be. Dr. Fowler always used to say, say you're either going through a valley, you're coming out of a valley, or you're about to go in one. Those are, that's just the truth of life, and we're all in different struggles and different storms and different things that, that bring us down. And we need the Lord's strength, the, the God who delivers, the God who rescues to come in. And when we look in that passage right there at the end of Psalms 107, or in the middle of it, in the heart of it, talking about this storm, and it says that 
it, it moves them to and fro, and they stagger like a drunken man. And, and, and it gives this kind of representation of you're beaten, you're beaten and battered in the storm. I know there's some people right here today that you feel beaten and battered in the storm you're in. Where, where the waves have, have, have just crushed your, your boat that you're in, and, and you've been shaken to and fro so much that you can't keep your balance, that you can't keep your feet. And then the Bible says there that they're at their wit's end. Man, it's, it's, it's given you so much pain, so much trouble that you don't know where to turn. You don't know how to think. And you're at your wit's end. It gives the picture and presentation that there's no hope. That the storm has overpowered. The storm has overcome. And you're overtaken. But then I love verse 28. And praise God for this. It says, they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm, verse 29 so that its waves are still. I believe there's somebody in here today that needs to cry out to the Lord to calm the storm. I believe there's somebody today that you're at your wit's end, you're beaten and battered, and you don't have your feet underneath you because the storm is raging. And you need to cry out to Jesus today. You need to do it. You need to surrender your life to him. You need to, to, to cry out so that you can be brought out of the captive of, uh, of addiction and the pain of something that may have maybe you thought was just innocent and started so um, seemingly like it wasn't going to hurt you, but now there's this monster called an addiction and it rages and it controls you and you're no longer in control of yourself, but something else controls you and you need to be set free today. You need to cry out to Jesus for the storm to be calm. And I think of this, this passage right here and I immediately think, and as you probably do as well, at the time where the disciples were in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, do you remember that? They had gone out after Jesus was teaching and the storm had come up, and the waves were battering the boat, and the disciples were afraid. And the Bible says this, Jesus was asleep in the boat. Oh, come on, man. Jesus was a deep sleeper. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all, I'll be asleep too. You know what I'm saying? You got to wake me up, splash some water on me or something. Jesus was asleep in the boat. But here's the picture that Jesus was not afraid. Jesus was not swayed. By the storm. The disciples were. And how many times have you and I, we get so worked up over the storms in our life and we get scared, we get fearful, we start looking for help. And so, so they cried to Jesus, asleep in the back of the boat, says, come on, man, aren't you going to get up? Well, what's wrong? You want us, you want us to die? We're going to perish out here. And what did Jesus do when he got up? Did he freak out? Oh my goodness, look at the size of these waves. Call the Coast Guard. No. He said, peace be still. And the winds calmed. And the waves stopped. And everything was silent and calm. Some of you need that in your life right now. You're freaking out. You're at your wit's end. Your legs aren't underneath you because the storm has rocked you so bad. And you need to cry out to Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, just because you're in a storm right now, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't there. Jesus was there in the boat with them through the storm. And all it took was a desperate cry for help. God, I can't do this on my own anymore. God, I'm tired of trying to figure this out my own way. I submit, I surrender to your authority, to your word, and I'm crying out because I'm in trouble. And I need you to calm the storm I'm in. Maybe that's you today. Let's bow our head. Let's close our eyes as we close today. And I just wonder... I just wonder if there's somebody here today who was already spoken to through this testimony of David and Debbie. 
and who would honestly just say, I'm struggling. I'm in a storm, and I'm crying out right now for help, and I'm going to get it because I know the Lord is faithful, and I'm coming right now to the God who rescues. If that's you, I want you to prepare yourself to come forward and talk with a pastor right here at the end of this. I want you to prepare your heart for that. Don't let Satan keep you in your seat anymore. Get up and get moving. And let's get you plugged into Chain Breakers with, with uh, Collison and Robin. Let's get you plugged in eventually with CR. And let's walk through you and disciple you. And let's get you out of this storm you're in as you cry out to a holy God, the only one that can set you free and calm the storms in your life. Get ready to do that and make that move. Or maybe you're here today and you might say, Brad, I know that I've never surrendered or submitted my life to Jesus. And today you want to make him Lord of your life. Maybe you've believed. Maybe you've walked in and out of church doors previously. But have you ever surrendered or submitted to the lordship of Jesus? Where you take yourself off the throne. You take your own understanding off the throne. And you put Jesus and his word there. Where he now guides and leads your life. Is that you? Have you ever done that? If not, would you do that today? I'm going to lead you through a prayer that I want you to just speak from your heart to God's heart. And we say every week, and it's so important that I say this every week, it's not a prayer that saves you. It's not some magic words that you just throw out and you're automatically in Christ. No, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. Have you surrendered your heart to Jesus today? Will you do it? Part of it is confessing with your tongue and speaking to God, admitting that you've messed up and that you need his help, his guidance, his forgiveness. You're not going to get forgiveness anywhere else except the cross of Jesus. Will you surrender and submit to him today and speak to him from your heart to God's heart and surrender your life to him? Or you might say, Brad, I've walked with the Lord previously, but lately, man, I've, I've gotten off track and, man, life's just kind of jacked me up and the fire that once burned in me has grown dim and, and I need to come back and rededicate my life to Jesus. I need to fall at the cross on my knees and cry holy and surrender, resurrender my life to him and get on fire for him. If that's you, I want you right now to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart and rededicate your life to him. So to receive him for the first time or to rededicate your life to him right now in this place, just speak to God right now and say, dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you my savior I've messed up I've fallen short of your glory and today I want to be renewed redeemed and restored Lord because I believe you're the God who rescues you're the God who saves and there is salvation nowhere else than under your son Jesus so right now I come and I submit and I surrender to your lordship Thank you for sending your only son, Jesus, to die on a cross, the perfect spotless lamb, God in the flesh, that his body was broken, his blood was shed so that I could be forgiven. And then three days later, raising from the grave, proving that he is God. And Lord, I want that same victory right now in my life. I need it. I need you. And Lord, my commitment today, right now, as I fall on my face and I cry holy to you is that I say this not just with my mouth but with my heart I am yours and you are mine 
You are God and you are my God. You are my Lord. You are my sovereignty. And from this day forward, every step I take and every breath that I make will be for your glory. Amen. If you prayed that prayer right now in this place, you meant business with God, you rededicated your life to him, or you accepted Jesus for the first time, boldly, unashamed, no one looking around, I want you to raise your hand and say, Brad, I meant business with God right there, and I asked him to come into my life for the first time, or I rededicated my life. Just raise your hand where you are. I just want to pray for you. I might not see you because there's lights on everywhere, and I can't see real good out there. God sees. Amen, church. If Jesus is all you need today, Give him a shout out and a big amen, a big round of applause. God is at work. God is going to continue to work. So I hope that the Lord has spoke to you through the testimony here today. Revelation 12 tells us that we're overcome the evil one. That's Satan. That's your enemy. The one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy him. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Man, what's yours? What would the Lord have you go out and share this week? Again, we're entering into a world that's in a lot of chaos, a lot of division. Bring light and not heat. Speak the truth, always. Speak the truth in love, not with argument, not with heat. There's a world who desperately needs it, needs you, needs you to be diligent, to stand on the truth of God's word and the gospel. Go be that. Go be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. So again, we're going to support our Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. They told me they're going to have pens and envelopes over here to the side. If you want to give to that today, I want you to put your money, put your check, whatever, in that envelope and write on there to Pregnancy Center. All right? So you can write the check out to Impact Church. We'll tally all of it together. Give them one check here this week. If you uh, don't have any of that with you, you want to give online, go to our website and go to giving and go to missions. And any uh, missions giving that comes in today will all go to the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center if you need to give that way. So give. Let's support them. A few weeks ago, we had a, a, a Gideon share. Uh, this church was able to raise in a special offering $1,500 to give to the Gideon ministry. That's pretty significant. Yes, amen. So what would God have you give today? This place has just been vandalized. They need to get their building right before they can even help young ladies. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Get them back even stronger than they were before. And we're going to continue to uh, support them as well as other crisis pregnancy centers here um, in the months and years to come. So let's go make an impact for Jesus this week. Come back. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. <laughs>